Isaiah chapter 35, which will also serve as the basis for our sermon tonight. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading for tonight is from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Submit yourselves therefore to God. That would be James chapter 4, verse 7 to 11. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Out of respect for our Lord Jesus, his words and ministry, will you please stand for the reading of the gospel. And our gospel for tonight is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 15. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, 
I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the gospel of the Lord. As we've been following along with these videos, you, you start to realize what's happening here. You start to realize that these people are yearning to be free from something that otherwise would have been normal, something that was their security, something that was their, their life they had come to know, but it was something they wanted to break free from. And now, all of a sudden, feeling unfettered and unchained, they feel freedom, and freedom for the first time. Every, every human being experiences this at some point. Everyone experiences that, that moment where they're on their own, when they're making their own decisions. And in that moment, there are other decisions to be made. Like whose guidance will you seek? What path will you follow? For the Christian, we realize that the path that is prepared for us is far better than the one that we can prepare for ourselves. And you begin to realize, just as you hear kind of the echoes and strains in the voice, you, you realize where this is going, right? You realize that this is actually going to be nothing like they imagined it to be. This is actually going to be a life that is far more chained and fettered than they could ever imagine. And so what, what does it mean to seek God's path? And what does it mean to seek God's plan? What does it mean to seek God's direction in our lives in, in all seasons? And, and especially, especially when we recognize that it's not always going to be pretty. When we recognize that life isn't always going to be simple, it isn't always going to be smooth, that there are going to be rough patches in life. And so what's going to happen? How, how are we going to proceed forward? How are we going to follow forward? What are we going to do in the midst of those rough patches? Everyone experiences them. They take all kinds of different forms. They take the form of, of broken relationships, troubled relationships, Relationships that sometimes, during this season, get exacerbated. As people who avoid each other for, for weeks and months of the year can't do so during Christmas, when everyone's called to be under one roof, and all of a sudden those troubled relationships come to the fore, and so you can either behave in a fake way or you could confront and you can risk, you can risk in, in, uh, negative interaction. There's all sorts of things that happen within, the, within those troubled relationships relationships during this season but it's not just during this season we recognize it always to be true and that's just one aspect of troubled rough patches in our lives another thing that we all deal with at some point or another is when it comes time for a diagnosis when the pain has increased when the situation that just isn't right becomes one that we finally seek help for and the diagnosis that comes back isn't one that we want to hear, it creates unease. It creates trouble. It's a rough patch. And so in the midst of that, what, what path are we going to follow? 
But I'll go one step further. It, it even happens in our, in our vocational life, in our work, right? When things aren't going the way that we think they're supposed to go and when, when the vocation that we've chosen or has been chosen for us suddenly isn't, isn't all that we thought it would be and life becomes humdrum and we just sort of wonder if this is really all that we're put on this earth for. And, and maybe it's not even that extreme. Maybe it's just that the company is doing is, doing, is going through a rough patch. And so all of a sudden the accounting department tells you that you've got to cut back or you've got to make cuts. And maybe those cuts are people. And maybe it's not even work. Maybe it's your personal accounting department that tells you you've got to make cuts. Rough patches. Rough patches in life that everybody goes through. And so what do we do in those seasons? How do we proceed? What's our worldview that allows us to know that God is still leading us and guiding us in the midst of this? How do we allow ourselves not to be so jumbled that there seems to be no reconciliation possible? Well, as Christians, you know, you know first and foremost what I'm going to say is that we go and seek examples of this in God's scriptures. We seek examples of this in his word that he has caused for us to be written. And when we do, we see all sorts of people who are going through rough patches in life. Those who are in the midst of the exact same seasons that I just described. Sometimes they're written in small ways. And sometimes they take chapters. And if we think about the rough patches in the Old Testament, we remember the cycle that is there, right? We remember that God's people often follow the same pattern, the pattern of sin, of fall, of punishment. And that's exactly what's happening in the midst of Isaiah 35. You see, in Isaiah's time, God's people were going through a rough patch, and they fall into that pattern that we see, the pattern of sin, fall, and punishment. And they're now being sent off into captivity. A foreign land has come and conquered them and is now carrying them away. And as they carry them away, you remember that conquering armies aren't real gentle with the people that they're conquering. You remember that they don't really care about their well-being. They don't really care how hard they drive these people. And they don't really care how many of them make the journey. In fact, they've been incredibly violent in the overthrow. So why should the captivity be any different? The captivity is painful. It's awful. The people are left to fend for themselves and not given any resources to do so. And so in the midst of that, what do God's people do? And what does God do? I think every time we get in a situation like that, whether it's us or God's people of old, we, we can see God's people praying because the Bible gives us examples of that, right? That first and foremost, in the midst of our rough patches, in the midst of our difficult seasons, we call out to God. We call out to him and ask him, Lord, what would you have with us? What would you do with us in the midst of this season? And God is gracious to answer and we see the answers that are given. And we see the answers which allow us to know what the prayers were. And we know that the prayers of God's people so often sound like this. I have to believe God. I have to believe that in the midst of this, it's got to be better than this. It's got to be better than what I see here. 
And what we realize in this is something really important, something that I really want you to take away this morning. You see, when we, in the midst of our rough patches, decide we've had enough and we go our own path, we plow our own field, we take our own direction, when we decide that's the way we go, we will always find ourselves disappointed because we're multiplying our problems. And being outside of God's law and God's plan always leads to disappointment. But being inside God's law and God's plan, even in the midst of the rough patches of life, always leads us to more than we can imagine. And I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to keep that in mind as you hear, again, what God says to his people. Because as God speaks to his people of old, we are reminded that he still speaks to us today through those words. And I use the word imagine. And I've used it a couple of times. In fact, our our theme tonight is more than you can imagine. And it comes not only from looking at these texts and realizing it's more than the people of the day could imagine, it comes also from the book of Ephesians where the Apostle Paul writes that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we hope for or imagine. It's okay for you as God's people to imagine. To imagine what it will be like when your pain is eased. To imagine what it will be like when you no longer are in that rough place. It's okay for you to imagine. And when I say that, understand, I'm not suggesting that God's plan isn't real. I'm not suggesting that God's just allowing us to make it up and he's going to fulfill whatever it is that we make up. No, uh, the word imagine doesn't just mean that. It's not just like the sense of I've accomplished it because I've got my imaginary friend here. It's instead, it's something better than that. It's to conceive of to believe in, to picture. You see, God wants us to picture what his intervention looks like. God wants us to picture what his reconciliation looks like. God wants us to picture what life eternal with him is like. And so what can you imagine it to be like? What can you imagine life with Jesus eternally to be like? Now, even as I say that, I want to take you to another shared experience. Every single one of you has imagined something to be far better than it actually is. I was, I was looking some stuff up in preparation for this, and I was, I was trying to think of the perfect one, and I realized this happens like in all aspects of life, right? Like, for example, you ready for your, ready for your moment to throw things at me? People imagined that this would be a fantastic season for the Indianapolis Colts. Guess what? We imagined it to be better than it is. Not only that, we we think about times of, of present giving and present receiving. And I say it that way intentionally. Because there have been gifts that you've given that you thought, this is a home run. This is going to be fantastic. The person I'm giving this to is absolutely going to love it. And they're kind of like, eh, I wish it was in a different color. Or for those of you that had children when they were little and you were so excited about a toy that you gave them, right? Maybe it's for their birthday and you you got this toy for them and you were so excited and you gave them the toy and they were more excited about what? The wrapping paper or the box. That wasn't the way I imagined it to be. Or you go to a a wonderful place that you've always anticipated. It was a bucket list place. You couldn't wait to go there. And when when you got there, you found out that it was 
really crowded and full of garbage. And you were disappointed. I told you, I I looked at examples of people being disappointed, and I was like, wow, we are really disappointed as a people. And so I don't want you to be discouraged as you imagine what God is doing. And the truth is, when you're following God's law and God's plan, you will never be disappointed. And here's my evidence. Because what God says to his people in Isaiah 35 and the picture that he paints for them. And realizing that in the midst of their captivity, in the midst of their rough patch, in the midst of them saying everything is turmoil and everything is bad, everything is painful and everything is decay, in the midst of that, they were crying out to God saying, I have to believe that it will be better than this. And God sent a prophet. God sent a spokesman. He sent someone into their midst to speak his very word to them. And the picture that he paints is beautiful. I'm guessing that the people of the day said it will be enough if we can just get out of Babylon. It'll be enough if we can just care for each other. And instead, God paints a picture. The picture that he paints is a picture of of water bubbling up in the midst of the desert, of flowers being planted and growing where none should rightfully grow, of people who are not only celebrating the work of God in creation, but that the creation itself is joyful and singing. That's what Isaiah 35 says, that the flowers will be so joyful that they will burst out in singing. That's beyond what I can imagine. But it's not just that picture, brothers and sisters. It's more. And especially right smack dab in the middle of this. He says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. God is coming. God, your God, is coming. And when he comes, he will bring vengeance on your enemies. And that vengeance will mean release for you. Your God is coming. And when he comes, he will save you. And when he saves you, then all of those who have these maladies that are not being, that are not being attended to, those who have illnesses and those who have things that are, not being, that are causing them pain that no one's paying attention to, those will be reconciled. Those will be remedied. Those will be healed. The blind will see. Those who can't hear will suddenly have their ears unstopped. Those who are lame and can't walk will suddenly leap and jump. That's more than I can imagine. And it's certainly more than the people of the day could imagine. But God doesn't stop, does he? He doesn't tell them that I'm just going to come and I'm going to punish them and I'm going to make your bodies right and I'm going to make the desert bloom. No, he says there will be a new highway, a new way, a new path. And they know what that path is. It's the path home. And there'll be no more malady on that path either. Instead, the lion will not perch there. And the people who seek to tear you down, they won't be there. And even, it says, even if you're a fool, you'll be able to walk this path. I love the picture. And in fact, somebody this week said, when I hear that, I think of the little bumpers that they put up in the bowling alley. Have you ever gone bowling and, you find, and those bumpers are there and you feel like, I'm, I can't miss. No, literally, you can't miss. 
And God says that's the way his way will be. That's what his path will be like. That even if you're a fool, even if you've known other paths and gone other ways, you'll be invited onto the way of holiness where you will return, where you will go to that place, that place of perfect reconciliation with your God. That's what God says to those who are in rough places. That's what God says to those who are in rough patches. He says, come. He says, come unto the path. Come and walk with me. And think about what this looked like for them. Think about how this impacted them. Think about what they had imagined it to be and now what God was saying. And when you think about that, I want you to apply it to your own rough place. How do these words land on you? To hear that God knows the impact that sin has. And even as you consider that, I want you to fast forward from Isaiah's time to Jesus' time, to the words that John the Baptist's disciples speak to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? And Jesus' response, straight out of these words from Isaiah, go and tell John what you see. The crippled walk, the blind receive sight, the deaf hear. Go and tell John what you see. Go and tell him what I'm doing. Go and tell him that I'm the one who is to come. Go and tell him that salvation is with me. And yet, brothers and sisters, even that is only partial fulfillment. And what I love is that the, the picture that's painted of eternity with Jesus, the one that's portrayed for us in the scriptures, is one that betrays even the artists of history. I, I love the fact that all the pictures we have of the paradise of God, they're all kind of really not going to I'm not going to sugarcoat this. They're pretty awful. They're, they're all ones that, that really just kind of take the words and put them into pictures, and they don't do it well. It's as if there's, there's no art that can accurately portray what that day will be like, and it makes sense. See, because we have a picture, a word picture of what that day will be like, and it comes in the book of Revelation. You see, in the book of Revelation, we find out that God wasn't just about redeeming his people from slavery and captivity in Babylon. God wasn't just about fixing the lives of some people in first century Judea, but that God was this whole time merely foreshadowing what would come at the end of all things. And he was saying, if you think this is good, just wait till you see what's next. And then Jesus comes and Jesus says the same thing. If you think this is good, just wait till you see what's next. That he still urges us in the midst of this to say, I have to believe that it will even be better than this. And when you turn to the book of Revelation, this is what I love. The words betray John. You see, as John writes these words, as he has this revelation that God has given to him, over and over again as he describes it, he says this, it was like this. It was like that. The throne was like this. The stones were like this. The road was like this. The buildings were like this. The people were like this. They sounded like this. All he can do is compare it to things he's seen. And yet he gives us the impression that it's way more than anything he's ever seen. And he doesn't even have words for it. And why is that true? It's true because it's God's plan. 
And when God's plan is followed, His law and His plan, when that is what we follow, we will never be disappointed. It means that, yes, in this world, we will have trouble. In this world, we will have pain. In this world, we will have rough patches. But it means that God's Word endures forever. That His Word is continually spoken into our lives. And the other words that are used are the words will and shall. With the expectation, we would know that God will do this. God will accomplish what He says He will. The end of all things will come. And so our posture, brothers and sisters, is the same as the saints of old. To cry out to God in anxious yearning, saying, I have to believe it will be better than this. So here's what I invite you to do. In the the pictures that God paints for us, in the words that He gives to you, imagine how great it will be. Imagine, believe, picture what God is going to do for you in the end of all things. Of what it will be like to dwell with Him in perfect paradise. Imagine how great it will be. And then, even in the midst of your imagination, say to yourself, I still believe it will be even better than this. For when God accomplishes His work, it is far more than we could hope for or imagine. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.